Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. beneficial health program on radio with Dr. Joe Galati. During the next hour, you'll learn about health, wellness, and the prevention of disease. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Galati. Well, it's another Sunday evening in Houston, Texas, and anywhere in the country where you are tuning in. Coast to Coast on the iHeart Radio app. I'm Dr. Joe Galati, and as always, 18 years and counting, every Sunday night, 7 p.m. Central, we're here bringing everybody the best in health and wellness. And as I like to say, we are going to raise your health IQ one listener at a time. That's all we ask for. Now, to be part of the program... Website, drjoegalati.com, drjoegalati.com. What do you do at drjoegalati.com? Well, you can sign up for our newsletter every Wednesday morning. We send out a newsletter. All you have to do is go to the website, and it says newsletter. Click it. Send us your name and email, and you will get uh, plugged in. Uh, and there you can connect to all the social media there, be it Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, and all of our podcasts, if you miss a show, you can go there and catch up with you at your leisure. So everything's at drjoegalati.com. And don't forget, Eating Yourself Sick, a copy of our book. You get it on Amazon. You could get it on Audible. It is all there. Now, a little later on the program, no stranger to the program is Chuck Garcia. Now, he was my college roommate, and I would say... Yes, he is my friend. He is a colleague, but we are collaborators. We have done all sorts of different things together. And uh, Chuck is going to come on. We're going to be talking about emotional intelligence and how that fits into healthcare. So stay tuned for that. Chuck will be on in a little while. He's, he'll be calling in from New York. And uh, for those that are regular listeners, you're probably familiar with Chuck. All right. So, uh, you know, for, to, to start off the program tonight, there uh, have been a number of news articles that I've been uh, collecting during the week that I wanted to share with you. And the first one, the headline is, too much TV may be bad for your brain long term. The punchline here is that if you watch too much TV in midlife, 30s, 40s, your brain shrinks, your gray matter shrinks, and the gray matter is responsible for our cognitive function, 
especially when we get older. And so that is that is not good news. And so the story goes on to say that studies have found that people who reported watching moderate to large amounts of TV in their 40s, 50s, and 60s experienced greater cognitive declines and had lower volumes of their gray matter. Your brain is shrinking. So the more time you're in front of the tube, your brain is going to shrink. And of course, the gray matter is involved in muscle control, vision, hearing, decision-making, very important type things. Now, what they have found is that, yes, watching TV is a sedentary activity. You're sitting there, you have the control in your hand, and you are just flipping the stations, watching mindless TV. That is bad. Now, there are other sedentary activities like reading and writing, listening to music, playing music, which does not have the same effect on shrinkage of your gray matter that watching TV does. And so you have to look at and differentiate sedentary activity number one, watching TV, bad for the brain, gray matter shrinks, and is a higher likelihood of losing cognitive function. And that's not something that you want to have happen to you or somebody in your family versus, yes, I am sedentary for whatever reason, but I am writing, I am reading, I am communicating, creating music, taking pictures, something that you're doing that you're stimulating the brain. Doing Sudoku is probably better than just sitting watching mindless TV. Now, of course, the research is trying to figure out, is it really the TV? Are you getting some sort of bad radio waves into your brain? Well, that has to be sorted out. But there are other things to think about. When you are sedentary, there's a greater chance that you may be obese. You may be eating bad food. Your diabetes may be out of control. You have hypertension. These are all things that can affect your cognitive health long term. So trying to make that connection between TV, I don't think they got down to a particular channel or network made you more demented as an 80-year-old. But I'm sure the research will um, be lighted up on that in the near future. Now, to follow up on this, the Wall Street Journal had an article on Chris Bosch, the basketball player. I found that his story, and I'll talk about it when we come back after the break, actually fits in to this story about TV watching. All right. Going to take a quick break. Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, drjoegalati.com. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks very much for tuning in on this very wet Sunday evening. It's been sort of a wet weekend here in Houston. Rest of the country, though, has had pretty decent weather. 
And don't forget our website, drjoegalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter. If you sign up tonight, you are immediately going to get a response, but we're going to send you our 10-point dietary fiber guide. Dietary fiber is such a missing component in all of our diets. And when I talk to my patients and we discuss the need for fiber, you get sort of this blank look on their face and they, you know, getting fiber from a bran muffin is not my idea. Coming up in a few minutes, Chuck Garcia, we're going to be talking about emotional intelligence. That's a new one. Uh, So we were talking about too much TV and being sedentary makes your brain shrink. And the only point I wanted to make was Chris Bosh, the um, Hall of Fame basketball player, NBA player. He had to quit in 2016 because of a, a series of blood clots. He made it a point to, to learn different skills, to cultivate his brain and his body outside of basketball. He learned how to write computer code. He learned how to play the guitar learned how to practice uh, and speak Spanish. So these are lifelong skills that will keep you active, keep your brain active, and prevent you, prevent you from developing dementia and loss of cognitive function. And, you know, what we're doing today in your 30s and 40s and 50s and even into your 60s are going to pay dividends when you're 70, 80, and 90. And so do not put off the attention to your brain that you need to invest. Watching TV is a hazard. Okay, another story. Has to do with diabetes. Nearly half a billion people on the planet now have diabetes, though many have no idea. And this is a very true statement. The the number of cases of diabetes has quadrupled since 1980. Only one in 10 get the appropriate level of care they need, be it dietary intervention, lifestyle intervention, medical therapy, because I, I believe both on the patient side and on the physician side, Everybody is so inundated with obesity and its complications that they say, well, you just got to touch a diabetes, Bob. And I've been saying this for years. I wrote about it in my book, Eating Yourself Sick. Hey, do you have diabetes? No, no, no. My doctor said I just have a touch. Well, that is going to come and haunt you. And so if you have diabetes, it triples the risk of a heart attack and leaves people 20 times more likely to undergo a leg amputation. These are serious things, my friends. It also leads to stroke, kidney failure, blindness, nerve damage, complications of pregnancy during pregnancy, what I deal with every day, fatty liver, and cirrhosis. And so if you have been told that you have a blood sugar problem, I ask you to please take it seriously. Please communicate with your physician. Please make sure you are getting all of the therapy that is outlined in the 
medical guidelines of, on how you are to be treated. Many people that have diabetes have high cholesterol. But only 1 in 16 people are using cholesterol-lowering medications. Less than a third have access to advice on diet and exercise, which can encourage healthy habits. And so when you look at this tsunami of complications that are going to develop, it stems back to chronic conditions like diabetes. And taking a step back even further, earlier in the disease, it's related to what we are eating, our inactivity, our sedentary lifestyle, the consumption of processed foods that are stripped of nutrition. And, and again, for many that may be new or you've been listening for just a short time, a lot of our discussion on the program here is rooted in food, nutrition, obesity, lifestyle changes. But at, at the end of the day, those are the things or those are the things that are lacking. Those interventions, those understandings that are leading to disease, chronic disease, that makes us sick, makes our life shorter, makes our life less enjoyable. And as I tell many patients, I would much rather have you out visiting a park than having to visit me in the office. Or are you visiting a cardiologist? Or are you visiting a surgeon? Or are you visiting your friendly pharmacist picking up one of 10 different medicines that you're on. All right, another interesting story. Modern life is messing with our microbiomes, but science is fighting back. Now, over the years, we have talked about the microbiome, the intestinal microbiome. These are the, the bacteria, the trillions of bacteria that reside in our intestines. And you may hear and say, wow, bacteria, that's bad. I need antibacterials. Well, no. That is just a problem. Too much use of antibacterials are selecting out the bad bacteria and the good bacteria are, are, not, uh, are not in the proper ratio in your gut that you're supposed to have. And so what they have found, and this is, this is somewhat of a, a long article. I will post this after the program on Facebook. To get to Facebook, it's at Dr. Joe Galati. But what they're finding is that with modern life, as people are moving into the cities, that we're not being exposed to the good bacteria that normally we would have been exposed to. These are micro microbes, really, that live in the soil, in the dirt, around animals that you see in rural areas. And they are finding that young people that are not exposed to these bacteria due to not playing in the dirt, not being around animals, may be associated with childhood onset asthma, celiac disease, obesity, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder. And they're actually finding, this, is, this I did not know, that when children are born vaginally, they are exposed to good bacteria that are in the mother's vagina. And that when they have a C-section, they, they miss that. 
And so there are some researchers that are actually trying to reintroduce some of the bacteria from the mom from her vagina and giving it back into the children. Now, do not call your obstetrician tomorrow and tell them this. This is strictly under research protocol. So stay tuned for that. Uh, some of the other things, there's interesting data coming out with COVID and all of the hand washing and the alcohol gels that we're using. We're cleaning our surfaces constantly that this is throwing off our intestinal microbiome because we're not getting exposed to this. Now, the other thing is with regard to children, they are actually thinking of developing a mat, okay, a little play mat for children that has dirt on it. So it's sort of a controlled, dirty environment for children to play on to expose them to this dirt, which we all need. So I'm going to ask my wife, Geraldine, tonight, do not vacuum tonight. Give me a break. I need some additional bacteria to get into my system. And the other thing is, again, this is research that we've known for a few years. Children that grow up with dogs and cats actually have less chronic illness, less asthma, because again, with dogs and cats, there are just certain bacteria that they are going to be exposed to. And again, scientists are trying to figure out what are those bacteria that dogs and cats bring into the house, sort of repackage it so that they can give it back to you to maintain a healthy bacterial environment in your body. All right, Dr. Joe Galati, drjogalati.com. Chuck Garcia is going to be here in a few minutes. Stay tuned. Go roll around in some dirt. I'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m. We are here doing our best to better educate the public, have you think about your health and wellness. And every week it is our, really our brand promise that we're going to share with you actionable information that you can hear, integrate it, and take action on it immediately. We stay away from the hypothetical, esoteric, too academic type discussion here. That's what Your Health First is all about. And as always, it is my pleasure to have my friend, college roommate, and I would like to say, Chuck, collaborator of 43 years, Chuck Garcia, on the phone here tonight. Chuck, how are you? And welcome back. I am very good, Joe, and thank you. Good to have you back here. I was actually rolling around in the mud during yeah. the break because I couldn't think of anything better for my health than to follow your advice. I'll tell you, uh, we should be like anti-Mr. Clean. It's, uh, <laughs> so we should support filth. And uh, for those that uh, remember or don't remember, Chuck is the author of a book, A Climb to the Top. ChuckGarcia.com is where you go to find out more about him and your latest um, 
project is the Emotional Intelligence Lab, and we'll be getting into that. But, Chuck, you have spent many, many years on, you know, personal transformation of, of individuals. And I do think that, you know, that work that you do in the non-medical field does have applications to, you know, to what I like to talk about with you. Well, it does, because, you know, from my point of view, for those that don't know me or haven't seen me or listened to me before, I teach at both the executive level and also at the Columbia University in the graduate school something called emotional intelligence. And what I try to encourage everyone in the world is to redefine what it means to be smart. So very similar to you, we are both in a profession that we highly respect, yet we take it as our own mission to sometimes provoke the status quo and help the people in our world think differently and dispel with the disinformation about how to achieve mental well-being. And in my case, it's a pleasure to teach emotional intelligence and help people to understand how important that is as part of their overall health. You know, in in you know, I, I don't know how far this goes back, but a a buzzword that is out there is building a community. We don't build groups. We don't build uh, organizations. We build communities. And what what I talk about is when we talk about health, how to get those that are closest to us, be it family, best friend, relatives, involved in an individual's health and well-being to be able to share a health concern share fears, because a lot of people are scared about getting sick. Um, how do we share the food we eat, the food we prepare, uh, and cultivate that nuclear family? To me, that is a form of a community. It's sort of this wellness community. And you know, I've been talking about family, faith, and food, and you've experienced it firsthand at my house many, many years ago. So really, what are what are your thoughts on this idea of cultivating a community to cultivate good health. That's really the key. Well, if you and I, Joe, we think about our roots and we think about how our parents raised us, and we were raised very much with a Christian value, and we undertook every week something called communion. Think about that, though. And I'm not mm -hmm. speaking about this in a religious context. In a very secular context, commune, communal. And this is not communism. This is <laughs> communal. But what we do, what we shared every week in growing up was a ritual that invited other people to participate in our ritual. However, here's what's really cool about what you're describing. I, don't, I think it's fair to say when it comes to health, wellness, diet, nobody on the planet needs to be told what to do. Right. We don't need to tell someone, stop smoking. We don't need to tell someone the health benefits of why it is you should drink a kale juice. Right. But what is lacking, Joe, and unfortunately this last year and a half hasn't helped, what is lacking if we have lost the spirit of inspiring people to come to the dinner table to eat with what your mom would have cooked because people's jaws drop when somebody makes an effort to feed them food that they will remember for a lifetime. That's what I remember about being in your home right. with your parents. Your mom made the dinner a ritual that was not just ticking a box, hey, I'm hungry now, I'm not hungry. It was a ritual that was inspiring. It was 
generous and it was filled with love. We can't do that on Zoom. We can't right. do it over the phone. The only way we can do it, build our communities by being generous in the spirit of others with food. That's why I loved your book. It was spot on. Have we forgotten? Have we lost our mind? Have we, 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 this has been working for thousands of years, and we seem to think it doesn't matter anymore. We just take a pill. Yeah. And, you know, so many patients that I see that um, have not been feeling well for weeks or months, and they have a wife, a husband, a significant other, whatever the, 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 that those people are. And it is a shock to everybody that Bob has been feeling ill for weeks or months, or he's had a pain in his stomach or his, his vision is cut down. And I look at this, I'm like, are you not communicating with each other? Now, either Bob tells you and says, Hey honey, uh, I don't feel well, or you're in tune enough to pick up that something is wrong. I look at this as sort of an extension of the of the community and what takes place in the community. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, think about the, the just the entire word of are you communicating the the, right. the, the, the the linguistics is at work here. And oftentimes, what is really sad and what you're describing, Joe, when it comes to how others feeling, I am not dismissing or minimizing how bad they feel. Right. I get it. However. What I do see, particularly for those of us that have passed the age of 60, I see sometimes just giving up and, and the refusal to open up your mind to nutritional healing. Because what you described before the break is, I don't want to see you. I'd rather you be out climbing a mountain, running a trail. We're not doing that anymore. Right. In fact, in many cases, what you're describing, people don't even know what it feels to be good again. They only know how it feels to be lousy, and they've lost all hope until all of a sudden, because... The pill that the doctor described didn't work. No offense to the doctor. He's trying to help, but it didn't work. All right, so you took another one, and that didn't work, and there was a side effect so they could take something else. What you describe in your book and why I loved going to the Glotti residence, it felt like nutritional healing. There was something on that plate where you, the prescription for what ails you, it may not fix everything, and it certainly can't cure cancer, but we don't do that any longer. No. We go to the store, we buy potato chips, we eat out of a bag. you got to be kidding me. This is crazy. You know, um, an old African proverb, and it may not have come from Hillary Clinton, uh, it, it, it takes a village to raise a child. That actually has older roots than, uh, than uh, uh, Hillary yeah, Clinton. <laughs> and, and, and the idea that to raise a child, but I would say to raise an adult um, in, a, in a safe and healthy environment takes this community. So, uh, you know, we, we talked about it, but re-focus re uh, in the development of a wellness community that we live in that could foster and encourage wellness and talking about wellness. Well, I, I think that there is, it seems like society has become so much more transactional in how we operate right. that, that we have taken for granted the importance and the power of healing simply by paying attention, by expressing empathy, 
by listening to very basic things that we used to be really good at. It's how we make other people feel in our presence. And, and that has that mind healing. I've, I've seen it because I practice it, and, and I've seen what happens in the absence of that. And we seem to have think, in many cases, this generation also coming up, oh, if I can't figure it out, I'm sure there's an app for it, and the app can tell me what to do. There is nothing quite distinct as the human touch, as the human voice, as, as speaking and listening to someone. And I don't it, it's just very sad to me, but it's not hopeless. We can turn it around. When we come out of COVID, the smartest thing we can do is get back to communing with each other, but not necessarily at the football game. We should do it at the dinner table, at your dinner table, and invite a neighbor and make a call to action on every given week. I am going to have dinner with so-and-so or lunch or breakfast. We, 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 it's sad, but we have to consciously make a plan to establish the communion so that we are part of that village. It will no longer happen naturally because everybody's making excuses about how busy they are. Well, if we set aside the excuses and we begin to say, all right, you know what, this is as important as the sure. meeting I was going to attend. That's what I hope that we can do when we get out of this crisis. Now, in, in 30 seconds here before we take a break, I, you know, I talk about this and and share it with colleagues and patients. And every so often, somebody will respond with respect. You know what? This is a very simple, a very simple plan for an extremely complex problem. And I, I sort of, in, in a way, bristle back at that to say, you know what? We do have to take it to the basics. But in, in 20 seconds here, honestly, yes, mm-hmm. it's very simple, but is this a first start to think about it? Well, it's not that complex. It's actually, I think it's as simple as going back to the dawn of the caveman. But here's the problem. We don't seem to be able to commit to that because we've taken it off the important list. Right. We're accelerating to the heart attack and to the diabetes because what you're describing didn't make it. You know what made it? You know, tune up the car, you know, all these right, things right. That get in the way. Well, we, we consciously have seemed to have lost the priorities of what it means to be human. We, we, are, we, we, we now have to redefine what it means to be a part of a community. Right. And that's what I think. And somehow, Joe, I think part of our mission is if we don't have enough to do <laughs> is to help inspire the world to recognize that, that the answer is not that complicated. There, there's actually a lot of simplicity to it, mm-hmm. but we got to get, we got to get over ourselves and recognize that it's not too busy to cook, to cook a dinner. It is. Not too You're right. To, to, to share. And, and, and I think we should just, that, that should be the top of the hierarchy yeah. in, in the next couple of months. All right. Chuck, hold on. We're going to take a break. Chuck Garcia is on the line, chuckgarcia.com. If you want to check up all the things he is into, you think I'm busy. This guy's running around. All right. Dr. Joe Galati, final segment coming up. Don't forget drjoegalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter. See you in a minute. Final segment for this Sunday evening of Your Health First. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, drjoegalati.com is our website. Sign up for our newsletter. Check out all of our social media channels that are there. And to get more information on our friend here tonight, Chuck Garcia, go to chuckgarcia.com. It's one of the easier websites to remember. No spelling problems 
there. Chuck, does anybody ever spell your name wrong? <laughs> no, sometimes I can't pronounce it, but Garcia is pretty straightforward. It is. It's uh, pretty easy. All right. Now, Chuck, you've been committing yourself to emotional intelligence. Why don't you explain to everybody what is emotional intelligence? Yeah, there's two parts to it. The first part is simply the internal part, the ability to manage and control your emotions. And really that's important because of the weight of pressure and expectations that often fall on us. Mm -hmm. How do we measure and manage that part of our lives? The second part is the external part, and that's the empathy, and that's feeling other people's emotions so that we may know how to understand and help others. So internal, external, manage my emotions, identify with other people's emotions. Now, people have have said that this is an, an innate ability or quality that people have Others will say, no, you could be trained and, you know, it's sitting there inside you and it just needs to be sort of massaged to come out. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, even Joe, as long as you and I have known each other, you had a penchant for biology. You were pretty good at it. I had a penchant for finance. And what did we do? We developed it. We built on what came naturally to us. Emotional intelligence, I think, and feeling other people's pain is the same. There are certain people, I think, that are born with it. But here's the great part. It's something that over the course of two generations, without a doubt, I'm living proof of it myself and of so many people that I help with it. It can be measured, it can be monitored, and it can be developed. The reason I say that is many people are not aware of what it is, so they don't think it can be developed, but it is a science, a social science, but rooted in evidence and in relevance. So there are no lack of assessments out there, and somebody can read a book called EQ 2.0. That's what I give to my students, and they're able to measure it. You read it, follow the tactics about how to feel someone else's pain. Believe it or not, it's not just something that comes naturally. It's something that we can develop our mental aptitude to be able to feel someone's pain. Who knew? And then you can work on those tools to get better at it. Because when you do, to your point earlier in the segment, Joe, that's how we build communities, by identifying with others helping them to understand, I feel your pain, and then together unifying efforts on a common mission because we understand each other. Okay, so let me, let me just throw this back at you. What does a person look like that has either a lack or under, underdeveloped emotional intelligence? Yeah, well, typically where that comes through is let's say you're speaking to somebody and you're writhing in pain. Your wrist hurt, you broke it, and they're looking at you and they don't offer help. They're oblivious to it. They don't understand your pain. They don't see it. They don't feel it. It's just, it has nothing to do with them. So why should they notice it? Mm -hmm. That is just the bottom pit of someone who is not socially aware of what is right in front of them. Right. Another thing is just reading social cues. Let's just say you and I are talking to each other, and I go into a lengthy explanation, and you're falling asleep, and you're yawning, and I completely miss that, and I keep talking. Right. I have missed, see it all the time, I've missed the social cue. I failed to read the room. In fact, I'm blind to it, so I just keep going. The high EQ individual will understand, hey, Looks like you're tired. 
I appreciate we have a lot to talk about, but I see you're yawning or I see you're in pain. Perhaps we can pick this up when it's more convenient for you. Oh. That is showing empathy and high emotional intelligence. Okay. Last point for the night mm-hmm. is if we're going to want to cultivate emotional intelligence, how can that for a person improve their health in, in a sense? So you have somebody that has good emotional intelligence. How, how are they going to cue and take action on their health? And, and that, I think we'll leave it at that for tonight. We got to pick this up in a, in a week or two, but tell me what you yeah. think on that. I'd be happy to. Well, what, what, what you, Joe, what I admire about you as a physician is you very much are conscious of somebody's heart mind connection right. about that the body is not just this thing of individual organs but the body lives as the as the integration of your heart mm-hmm. your mind and your instinct your guts that's how we decide through any one of those three through our instinct through our heart well, by improving the ability to maintain and control my emotions right. what i'm actually doing I'm controlling the glands inside my nervous system that are causing me to stay calm and chilled when otherwise I would go ballistic. What happens when we go ballistic? Oftentimes we're caused to take some medication or something to calm us down. Emotional intelligence alleviates us of the need to chemically treat it because there are tools that allow us to manage those emotions, which in turn manage our health. I would would agree with that. I I would say this... And again, this has opened my eyes to rethinking, uh, again, the web of how do we get individuals interested in their health. But, Chuck, I think this is the tip of the iceberg. And as always, um, well said. Well said. (laughs) Thank you. I'm delighted to to be an advocate for this and happy to come back, back on and we can go a little deeper on this topic because it's all the heart the mind, the instincts. That's what we are. And the better that we can learn to regulate each of those, the better they are for our overall health. All right, Chuck. You be well. Keep that emotional intelligence high, and we'll talk to you soon. All right? Thank you for the opportunity to come on the show again. All right. Thanks a lot, Chuck. Bye now. All right. That was Chuck Garcia, chuckgarcia.com. That's where you find out about him, his book, and all of his activities, and always great to have on the program. All right. So for me, we're out of here. Next week, we'll be back. Don't forget, drjoegalati.com. Think about your emotional intelligence and how we're dealing with stress and how this all works out. It's very important. Have a great week. Eat, exercise, and really take care of yourself. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.